This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. Well, as I think about all of you who are listening to the show, from what I gather, most of you are in staff positions, whether it be an executive director or CEO or another staff position, or maybe you're in a board position or an avid volunteer of a nonprofit organization. And I think most of you want to help grow your nonprofit so that you can serve more people and meet the need that your organization's mission addresses. But how can we as leaders grow our organizations while at the same time preserve the core of our mission so that we don't experience mission drift? or worse, completely change the organization's entire mission in order to chase that growth. Well, my guest today is leading a very large nonprofit and has an impressive amount of leadership experience, both nationally and internationally. My guest today is Dr. Mark Harrison. He's the president and CEO of Intermountain Healthcare. He's also a pediatric critical care physician with a proven track record as a top operations executive on a global scale. He is nationally and internationally known as a thought leader on transformation and innovation. In fact, he actually ranked in Fortune's top 50 world's greatest leaders in 2019. Well, Dr. Harrison currently leads Intermountain's 59,000 employees, they call caregivers, to reimagine operations and ways to keep people and communities healthier. I think you're going to be really inspired by Mark's insights today into leadership and how he has managed to grow Intermountain quite rapidly, but maintain their core purpose at the same time. Enjoy today's show. Well, Dr. Harrison, it's great to have you on the show. Truly, it's an honor. And you currently serve as president and CEO of Intermountain Healthcare. And you also have an impressive track record when it comes to executive leadership over the years and actually now lead 59,000 employees at Intermountain. So I thought we'd start out today by talking about the trends that you have been seeing when it comes to this pandemic and how nonprofits have been impacted by it. So my question would be, how has COVID permanently impacted the nonprofit sector, either for the good or the bad? What is the trend line moving forward into the next few years from your perspective? Rob, uh, let me just start by thanking you for, for the opportunity to, to be on the podcast. And um, as you know, Mary Carol and I love being members of both the Salt Lake City community and the Park City community. And uh, we really admire the work that you and your team do. And as you know, Mary Carol both picks up and delivers from, <laughs> from your center. Which is great. <laughs> we like that recycling is wonderful. She's a good we'll recycler. <laughs> and, um, and, I, and we particularly love the fact that you offer mental health services and nutrition services. I mean, it's, a, it's really a remarkable, remarkable organization that you run. I, I think that um, the pandemic has catalyzed all of our businesses for good and for bad. You know, on the on the challenge side, and we were talking about this earlier, Rob, the mental health crisis, which has been around for for quite a while, um, understaffed, you know, sort of under the radar, but increasing rates of suicidality and substance abuse have actually been dramatically worsened and, and, and unmasked to a large extent by by the pandemic. And similarly, you know, the inequities and disparities that um, are in society all around us have never been more starkly apparent than they were during the height of the pandemic. 
And then you combined with George Floyd's murder and this, the civil discussions that have occurred because of that, uh, I think we've got a clarity that we never had before. And it's true in for-profit commercial you know, businesses. It's true in not-for-profits. It's just true in society as a whole. I think the things that have been really good is that um, we've innovated faster than we ever have before. And as you know, Intermountain is a is a very innovative organization, um, you know, widely considered to be the most innovative health system in the United States. And boy, we've moved fast and moving towards digital and virtual care. We've recognized the advantages of keeping people out of the hospital and in their homes to a large extent. And so our hospital at home and our virtual, our home monitoring programs have just taken off. And our ability to work as a system, which we have been really focused on, it became a necessity. And then finally, um, I think one of the really good things is the distress caused by the pandemic in the healthcare sector. You know, the death and destruction our, our folks saw was really pretty extraordinary. And the pressures they felt was, were really extraordinary. The downside to that is people felt pressure. The upside is we learned how important it is to really listen to them. And I'd like to think we've always been a great place to work. I think we're a better place than ever in large part because we really actively listen to and change course based on what our caregivers are telling us. Well, it really is impressive how innovative Intermountain has been. And one of my favorite leadership books is the book, Good to Great by Jim Collins. And I've asked this question of many of my guests before, because one of the things he points out in his book is that there are great companies and they're great because they continue to grow and innovate year after year, like you just mentioned about Intermountain. But at the same time, they stay, stay true to the company's core values. In fact, he states the principle this way, good leadership seeks to preserve the core while stimulating progress. So you've done a lot of innovation. How have you preserved the core of Intermountain while at the same time stimulating progress? So Rob, in 1975, when the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints gave the initial assets for to Intermountain to the community uh, in, in the form of a not-for-profit and actually said, hey, you know, we're going to watch carefully. We're going to support you, but this is a secular organization now. The things that they asked us to do were to be a model health system, which is kind of a remarkable statement in 1975 when people didn't even really think about healthcare in a systematic fashion and asked us to serve everyone without regard for their ability to pay. We have stuck to those guns. I mean, th those are as relevant and as beautiful today as they were then. The interesting thing is the definition of model health system has changed, and we've needed to change along with that. And my team uses this on a daily basis as we think about what we're going to do next. You know, is something in line with the mandate to, to be a model? Is it in line to take care of people regardless of their ability to pay? Is it in line with the idea of being a forever organization and being careful stewards of the resources that we've been given and we've earned? That is absolutely crystal clear in our minds. The, the really fun thing is that we think our system really works, this approach to keeping people well, not just taking care of them more sick. And we understand that like in any business, growth is important. It provides different kinds of scale, but more importantly to us, it spreads the the style of care that's uh, high quality, it's affordable, and it's very respectful of, of other human beings. And I, at the beginning of the pandemic, I said to my team, we are going to walk and chew gum at the same time. We are going we to really function as well as any system in the pandemic. And my competitive side comes out, Rob, I defy you to, to demonstrate any system that was more effective than their mountain was. And we're just about to complete our fourth major deal in three years, um, day after tomorrow, on, on April the 1st. 
and we've grown for all the right reasons, uh, always around value. And so we walk and chew gum at the same time really well at Inner Mountain. No, that's really interesting. And, and I think about your experience. You've had lots of experience, uh, both globally and in the U.S., of course, with large health organizations. Now, many people may be surprised, but not all hospitals are nonprofits, but many hospitals actually are officially nonprofits. So I'm curious, as you've led a lot of these health organizations, you've also served on some significant boards. As this is a leadership podcast, I wonder if you would talk about one or two of your most challenging leadership decisions. What happened and how did you navigate through it? So Rob, I'll I'll tell you, um, and by the way, not all hospitals are not-for-profit. And I'll tell you that some for-profit hospitals are extraordinarily ethical and generous to the community, and some not-for-profits, not so much. <laughs> so we'd like to think we are both not-for-profit and oriented around doing good uh, as opposed to being a financial organization. I think really strong leaders know what they're about, and they can they have a vision in their head that's around creating a more robust business, but also around changing the world. And when I got to Intermountain, I was, and that was about five and a half years ago, I was able to see that we're an extraordinary organization with a history of quality and a history of service. And my predecessors had done a magnificent job around orienting people towards value, this idea of keeping folks well, be able to have a business model that sustains that. But our operations didn't match that aspiration. Now, the fact that people were oriented towards that was really a great gift. So here I took this great health system with an international reputation, incredibly excellent, hardworking caregivers, and I completely took it apart and reorganized it and put it back together again to drive value. And you know that's exactly when you should make change. And it's exactly when you should transform when you're strong. But darn, it's hard. And boy, people didn't like it very much. A lot of folks were scared by it and they were unsettled and they felt like we were losing our way and that we were a different organization. But it's that idea that we were initially asked by the church to do in 1975, which is to be a model. And volume-driven care is not a model in our mind. And so now we had to change our structure to meet our function. And uh, that was a hard decision. Uh, And boy, am I glad we did it because those changes actually allowed us to thrive during the pandemic. Talk a little bit more about that. How did you navigate through all that maybe negative pushback, maybe even questioning your leadership? You came from the outside into this organization that had been around for a while. I'm sure that was a hard time. I mean, how did you, again, keep yourself focused on this is what I'm called to do? Question my leadership, question my ethics, question my integrity, question my humanity, all of those things. How do you cope? You, you don't read the comment section in the newspaper. If no one adds their name to it, you can't, it has no credence in my mind. I, I think that you keep your eye on where you're really meant to go. You reiterate and reiterate um, your rationale and your purpose, and you make very sure that every action is consistent with your words. And eventually, you break through. And you also recognize in a role like mine, so we have 43,000 people right now. As of Friday, as of April 1st, we'll have 60,000 people in seven states under our belt. Wow. Wow, that's growing tremendously. Wow. And I have to recognize, and uh, Governor Mike Levitt, who um, will be the board chair of the newly formed um, Intermountain Board post-merger, said to me at one point, Mark, if you ever have more than a 60% approval rating, you're probably not trying hard enough. And and I think just interesting, coming, interesting. Okay. Yeah, coming to realize that you know these jobs, because they challenge 
the stability or perceived stability of an institution um, makes some people anxious and angry, and it, it just is the way it is. But that doesn't mean you should ever act with arrogance or unkindness, but you do forge ahead. That's really, so again, if your approval ratings are higher than 60%, you're saying you're maybe not pushing things hard enough. Well, that's what Mike said. That's what Governor Levitt said. I mean, <laughs> okay, actually, that's interesting. I'd, I'd shoot for eighty percent, but um, <laughs> okay, okay, there you go. <laughs> but I, I like I think, that better. That sounds better. <laughs> but I do think that it is true that um, you know, there's just an arc of adoption of change, and you know, CEOs should be, if not at the bleeding edge, at the leading edge of change, because as you pointed out earlier, static companies aren't forever organizations. They're just not. I don't want to be, I don't want Intermountain to ever be the blockbuster of, uh, of healthcare. And I, I know we're not going to be, but um, there are a lot of folks out there who are about to get commoditized and about to get their lunch eat. Well, this is a great segue into leadership. You're already talking about your leadership style, but again, another thing I like to ask my guests when it comes to your leadership and your experience, could you give us an example of two leaders, say, who have shaped you personally the most? What about their leadership impacted you? And how did they shape your own leadership today? Well, um, I actually believe that every clinician is a leader. My dad was a, a general surgeon. But he didn't have lots of traditional leadership responsibilities with like a ton of people working for him, although he led a, a large general surgery group. When I was a kid, I rounded with him at this hospital called Homestead Hospital outside of Pittsburgh. And Homestead's a mill town that had fallen in hard times uh, as the mills closed. And I and he loved that hospital. And he rounded a bunch of other hospitals as well. And I asked him why he loved it so well. And he told me that the people there, a lot of them were very poor and that he loved taking care of them. And he knew that if he didn't take care of them, they weren't going to get the kind of care that they deserve. He said, rich people will always be okay. The poor people, not so much. And that was actually a lesson that I take with me every day. Um, I'd like to think that my team and I think a lot about the people with the least to make sure that they get treated in an equitable fashion and always treated with dignity. So I'd say my dad was was one of those two people that was very impactful for me. The second person was a gentleman named Dr. Joe Hahn, and he was the chief of staff at uh, the Cleveland Clinic where I was a pediatric intensivist for for 20 years. And um, in that world, the chief of staff is the head of all the doctors. And I was about 40 years old. I was a very young department chair and doing some good work. And I got called out of the blue by Dr. Han to come to his office, which I thought, oh, I'm like him. Yet again, I'm in big You're trouble. You're in trouble. <laughs> I'm in trouble. <laughs> the principal's office. <laughs> um, and in fact, what he wanted to do is he, he said, look, I, I need an associate chief of staff. Would you join my team? And I didn't know him. I have no idea. I still, I'm not quite sure how he heard about the work I was doing. And I said, yeah, I'd love to. And he took a big risk on me. There were a lot more established people who he could have chosen for that job. And I think I repaid him by working my tail off and helping him as much as I could and helping the organization as much as I could. But what I took away from what Dr. Han did for me was I take lots of risks on people. I love folks whose pedigrees are not quite what they should be. I love people who come from really modest means and have shown grit and determination. And if you look at my team, I, I probably over-index towards those gritty people. Boy, in, in general, they've paid me back and paid our organization back with loyalty and creativity and innovation and strength. 
I'd say Dr. Han is to, is to credit for that. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Arts Midwest. They have launched a new podcast called Filling the Well. The Filling the Well podcast has been created to nourish, provoke, and inspire. Hear from creative changemakers as they share their takes on how to shift power, avoid burnout, build community, share resources, and advocate for support. You can visit artsmidwest.org slash filling the well. Again, that's artsmidwest.org slash filling the well. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. If this is your first time listening to us, I want to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other episodes with fascinating guests that I previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. There you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country and even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. Now, finally, if you want to get my monthly email update that contains more resources in addition to these episodes, it's really easy. Just go to my website at nonprofitleadershippodcast.org and simply type your email address in the top right-hand box, and you'll be added to our monthly email update. And this way, you'll never miss any of the interviews or extra content from this show. And if you have any questions or comments, do not hesitate to email me. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. Uh, great examples, both of them. And it's interesting you talked about culture, that the culture that you're creating there. Studies have shown, actually, that when it comes to this next current generation actually coming up, looking for jobs, when they look for jobs, they're actually looking at the culture of an organization more closely than ever. In fact, uh, there's been some studies on this, and they understand that culture now sometimes has been even more important than simply the benefit package or the pay when it comes to determining whether or not they'll choose to work at this organization or that organization. So in light of that, how do executive directors or CEOs create the right kind of culture for their organization? I mean, is it primarily something that has to do with hiring or is it more about how the CEO leads day in and day out? In your mind, in your experience, what are the most important steps to take in order to create a healthy culture that will attract the right kind of talent and new talent? I'll say that in my mind, culture's what happens when nobody's looking. So I think when people talk about their culture, they often are thinking about all the nice things in an organization. You know, we treat each other well, or maybe we've lunch together. We have birthday celebrations for one another. For me, culture is the person in the ICU who is sick and dying and wants to marry their girlfriend. And the nurses manage to pull together an impromptu wedding in the ICU. That's culture. That's cool. And that kind of thing happens at Intermountain every day. Culture is the environmental services worker who takes his shoes off and gives the homeless person who's in the emergency department his shoes because that person doesn't have shoes to wear. That's culture. And um, I think um, when you start talking about that and creating an environment where people can independently make choices to live that way at work, I think that's really powerful. And then I think you're right that people want to work for organizations these days who stand for something. You know, I happen to be very lucky taking care of people without regard for their ability to pay. That's a pretty easy sell in a lot of ways, as long as we actually live it. And then if we say we're going to listen to our people, caregivers, we actually do it. That's pretty darn powerful too. Last year, we implemented 50,000 of our caregivers ideas at Intermountain. Wow, that's impressive. 50,000 of them. That's really impressive. Mm -hmm. More than one per person. 
So there's different ways of doing this, but I think it boils down to humility, being honest with yourself about things that are good about your culture. By the way, there are bad parts of every culture that happen when nobody's looking. And I think relentlessly trying to choose people who aren't going to fall prey to those mistakes, I think is important too. Now, I love all those things you're sharing. Building off of that, you know, it's also important that organizations have alignment, right, between the purpose of the organization and the culture. You have a growing organization and you're obviously adding another 20,000, sounds like, uh, employees soon. How have you kept your large organization aligned with the purpose while at the same time you're building this culture that you're seeking to develop, particularly when you're adding more large groups of people, you know, all at once, so to speak? How do you do that? I think that you're repetitive in, in, in speaking about why you exist. And then you, on a day-to-day basis, you try and connect the activities of the human beings in your organization with that purpose. But none of this happens in the absence of leadership. And when people think leadership, I think they usually think about an executive director or a CEO or a board chair. And it's actually, that's not where the important leadership happens. It happens at the front lines. And during the pandemic, most organizations across the U.S. actually slowed down their leadership development. We accelerated. We thought there was never a time that called for more leadership than the pandemic. We've seen, and we actually changed a lot of people who weren't living up to what we were hoping for. After coaching, almost without exception, we've been repaid by greater engagement and happier caregivers and people who feel listened to and respected. So I think the real success in driving a culture and choosing people who can manage a transformation revolves around those frontline leaders. And we have, as you might imagine, thousands and thousands, and we pay a lot of attention to that. I really like that approach to the frontline workers. And I think you're right, COVID really exposed that either for the good or for the bad, right? If there was not good leadership happening on the front lines. And let's talk about Intermountain a little bit and about specific things you're doing. You're a founding member of the Utah Alliance for Determinants of Health, which is a collaboration essentially of community partners designed to proactively address these forces that affect people's health well before they come to a clinic or hospital. I love this collaborative approach. And again, the nonprofit that I lead is a part of this, right? And we're part of this solution, if you will. Tell us more about that. Why is this so important to you and how have you gone about building that collaboration? Well, first of all, thank you for being a partner in the in the alliance. It's yeah. a it's a great it's a great group, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it the, is. The, yeah. The, the reason it's important is we've realized that doctors and hospitals actually play a very small role in the health of people. Um, whether they have housing, whether they have clean water, healthy food, whether they have physical security, whether they have meaningful work, whether they have education. Those are the things that actually really correlate very strongly with the health of a population. There are a lot of hospitals around the country that are very interested in this. Most of them have the disadvantage of getting, of not having that interest be aligned with their business model. And in our model, more than half of our revenue is generated by keeping people well, not taking care of them when they're sick. So we we care about them as human beings. And so we want them to have housing and good food, but it also makes our business sustainable because we know that if somebody experiences homelessness, the likelihood that they are going to be in the emergency department is about five times higher than if they aren't, weren't experiencing homelessness. And those emergency department visits are expensive. And if we can avoid them, we can then pour that money back into keeping them well or decreasing the cost of care for them. So for us, this is a, a virtue, not a vicious cycle, it's a virtuous cycle of caring about um, their social determinants of health and then benefiting from them and then pe- um, paying that back to the community. 
Love that. No, that's excellent. Love that proactivity on that. And it's interesting how you're looking to save money, which then you can pour into other programs for people's overall better health. Well, and, you know, one more leadership questions, kind of along those lines. I'm a big believer in the principle that if we're going to be successful in addressing today's biggest challenges, we often need to be willing to change our styles you know, of leadership if need be, if that's what it takes. And you kind of already referred to this a bit during the COVID pandemic and how you made some changes and real investments in your frontline team. What would you say are the most important leadership methods it takes to bring about the positive social change as a leader that you are seeking to do there in Intermountain? I mean, if you boil it right down to the core, organizations do pay attention to their leader, assuming that they have respect for that person. And how the leader spends her time and energy actually tells the organization what's truly important. If I were to tell my organization I care about the health of the population and I spent all my time trying to drive more patients into our hospitals, that wouldn't, that, you know, the audio and the video don't match. So I, I think that leaders really need to understand what their core mission is. And they need to make sure that their, their time, their energy, their words, their passion is, is well aligned with that. And I think that happens in, in the best companies. I think um, it doesn't happen as regularly as I'd like to see in lots of other places. Uh, very helpful. Great insights. Well, again, thanks so much for being on the show today, sharing your insights. I have a feeling that people want to find out a little bit more about you and about Intermountain that are you know listening across the country and also across the world. So how can people find out more about you as a person, either connect through social media and then more about Intermountain as a company? Well, I feel... You know, I'm 58 years old. I feel very young. You can follow me on LinkedIn. <laughs> you can way to go. You follow, yes, all you right. You can follow <laughs> me on Insta. You can follow me on Twitter. And I, I too have a podcast. It's called uh, Healthier Futures, and I think it's getting some traction as well. So, um, excellent. Thank, thanks for the opportunity to to be here, and thanks for your good work in our community. It, it makes me feel good to to have neighbors like you, and I think the our communities benefit from it. So, thank you. You're very kind. Well, thank you again. Thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule to share your insights with us today. My pleasure. Hey, friends. Well, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to other podcasts. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will actually help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. You can also join the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community find other resources and interviews of past guests all on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Well, thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.